1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano, and I am joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, nice to be here.
1: Restoration Radio is pleased to present This is Catholicism free of charge to our listeners by the generous sponsorship of Australian Catholic Mission. This is Catholicism, the Catechism show. We'll be using the text... A Complete Catechism of the Catholic Religion by Father Joseph de Harba, S.J. The text is public domain and available for free online as a PDF. Used copies can still be found and purchased, and reprint versions are also available, and more information will be in the show description. Your Excellency, this is the catechism you recommended for the show. Could you tell us more about it?
0: Yes, it was a very popular catechism written originally in German by a German Jesuit by the name of De Harbe. And uh, it was widely used in Germany, so much so that <clears throat> there is actually a German commentary on the whole thing, which I have. And then it was translated in this country, again, during the 19th century. So it's very old and very detailed. Uh, I have used many catechisms over the nearly 40 years of my priesthood, and uh, uh, with regard to uh, converting people to the Catholic faith, instructing them, uh, I find this one to be the best and the most complete. So I would recommend it to anybody. Some of the like the Baltimore Catechism, for example, in the United States, is a good catechism, but it's thin in comparison to uh, the what is covered in this the Harba Catechism, and he uh, Father De Harba is very insistent upon certain social doctrines and other things that are not mentioned in the average catechism. So he goes beyond merely doctrine. He he talks about many other things which are very interesting, and um, he also wrote a an excellent work which we are now reading in the refectory. That means the dining room of the seminary and that is uh, history of religion where he talks about essentially the, the history of the catholic faith from from genesis right on down to his present age so it's uh, that's also a very good work if anybody can get his hands on it I, I don't know how much it's in print i don't i don't think it is but it's called the history of religion uh so i've always admired the Harbaugh.
1: Uh, Your Excellency, in some of the editions, as in the 6th American edition, which is available online, there is a a short history of revealed religion preface to, uh, to the rest of the catechism. Is that the same
0: text? No, that's an abbreviation of the book. Uh, it's essentially the same as the book in the sense that he's covering the same items, but it, the book is obviously much bigger and more complete.
1: On our first episode, we will be covering the Christian doctrine, Introduction on the End of Man, questions 1 to 13. Uh, question number one, Your Excellency, is for what end are we in this world? Oh, yes,
0: that's the ultimate question, <laughs> the first question and the last question. Yes, it, 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 all catechisms start with this, and uh, the the answer is that uh, we must... Uh, analyze and sit back and say, why do we exist? Why does this Earth exist? Why does God give to the Earth all of its life and order? And why are these creatures running around on the Earth who have intellects and wills? When you sit back and look at the rest of the universe, which is just a collection of either cold rocks or, or, or hot planets, uh, as the case may be, absolutely desolate. And you, then you look at this one planet with the, all of this life and order on it, all of the physical laws. And why does this exist? What, for what reason? And why do we exist? Uh, Endowed as we are with intellect and will, we are obviously distinct from the animals and substantially distinct from the animals who know nothing about justice or charity or mercy or kindness or or any any anything of that nature. They know nothing intellectual. Why do we have this intellect? Where did we get it from? What are we supposed to do with it? And the answer to that question is that we must glorify God. The purpose of our existence is to glorify God, because it is impossible that God create anything except for his glory. It would be against his divinity to create something that was not for his glory, and that at face value sounds a little egotistic, but in God's case, it is not egotistic, because he is God, and everything exists for him. It would be uh, uh, egotistical for a creature to say that. And that's exactly what the devil said. Uh, He he was jealous of God's position and wanted that homage that God received as creator of all things. And uh, so it is egotistical and prideful on the part of a creature. But on the part of God, everything must exist for his glory and so he creates and maintains everything in existence for the sake of manifesting his glory and all of these creatures must in some way glorify him back so even the the movements of the universe glorify god because they're obeying his will and the animals glorify god by obeying his will by by acting according to all of the instincts that he has placed in them and the plants and everything else the angels and so human beings must glorify God by obeying his law. First of all, by knowing him, by worshiping him in the manner that he wants to be worshipped, and by obeying his law. So that is the essential response to uh the that question. And it's a very good question because it determines everything that we do in life. Every single act that we perform must be in some way for the glory of God. And that means every single act that we perform either Does contribute to the glory of God or does not. Uh, There is no middle ground or or a neutral ground with regard to the the glory of God. Either an act does uh, contribute to it or it does not. And so everything is either a good act or it is a sin in the practical order. So Father de Harb's uh, response to that is we are in this world that we may know God love him, and serve him, and thereby attain heaven. So the reward for glorifying God by knowing him and loving him and serving him, keeping his commandments, is heaven. That is, that he will grant us the the vision of his glory, a face-to-face vision of God. And therefore we have a, a type, almost like a a, a contract. With God, that if if you do these things, if you glorify me in this life, I will reward you with an everlasting happiness, which is the beatific vision.
1: Yes, Your Excellency, sounds like a great answer to the world's question of what is the meaning of life?
0: Yes, and, and that's what human beings have lost completely. Uh, most human beings exist for pleasures of food and, and sex. And money making, power, possessions, that they think that they are made for that, that this is the purpose of human life is to gather as many of these things as you possibly can, enjoy as much as you can, and then die. Die like a squirrel is run over on the road. You just, uh, you're no longer there. Um, That's why many of them prefer to get burned up um, through cremation. They're just their life is done. Their life of enjoying this world is done. Their fellow pagans praise them for having led a great life, and uh, they say nice things like he was a great guy and all of that. And so you're considered a, a success because you you enjoyed life to uh, to the fullest. That's the, the pagan mentality, and it, it is the mentality of most people in this world especially those who have become apostates to any form of Christianity, and particularly those who are apostates to the Catholic faith.
1: Question number two, what is heaven?
0: Heaven, as I said, consists in the beatific vision. That is, beatific means making you happy, essentially. Something that makes you happy, beatify. Beatrice in Latin means happy. And it is a vision that will totally enthrall us. Now, it's hard for us to say or to imagine how seeing God will totally enthrall us and totally um, demand our attention for all eternity to reflect upon the nature of the human intellect. The human intellect is something that is able to know being. It is able to know existence. We are able to abstract and say something exists. And the mind wants to know as much as it possibly can. The intellect is the highest of the human faculties. And Although we might crave food and we might crave sexual pleasures and all of those things, we might crave possessions, human beings crave, more than anything else, information. They crave the truth because their highest uh, faculty is their intellect, and they are constantly looking to exercise their intellect to grab onto something which is true. And that's why they watch television the whole day. That's why they watch movies. That's why they converse with people and want to be with people. Because they are absorbing, at least what they think to be is true. They're absorbing reality in some way or the other. And they are exercising their intellect. Their intellect never goes, your body sleeps, but your intellect and will never sleep. And so there is a voracious appetite for truth. And we are are very much uh, offended if somebody should hand us a lie. That is, that is a, a terrible offense to us because our minds demand the truth. It, it is uh, it is to mistreat us to to lie to us, especially you know politicians and all they lie. They uh, we are we are we feel very cheated because the mind is meant to know truth now. Truth is is merely the discovery of the existence of something that, that something is. You just dis- you discover what its essence is, what it is. Not only that it exists, but that it is something like gold or silver or or coal. They all have different natures, and uh, human beings have always striven to to know what these things are. That's why science exists, for example, is to know the universe. Uh, mathematics exists to measure. Matter. That's what Aristotle calls mathematics, the measurement of matter. All of these things exist for the purpose of satisfying the intellect. The intellect always wants to know why something happened. What is the cause of something? An accident may occur or some disease may ravage the body. And the mind wants to know why. There is a cause, there is something from which this proceeded. And this has driven human beings, uh, you know, philosophy and theology. It is the life of human beings, all the books of the world, all of the information of the world. And so we have to reflect on that when we think about the Deitific Vision, that to see God is to totally satisfy this voracious appetite of the intellect to know what is true because there is nothing beyond God that is true. There is nothing outside of God that is true. In other words, when we achieve God, we achieve all truth, and we achieve perfect truth. The mind is completely satisfied by seeing the source of everything, the cause of everything, and it is so enthralled that it, the heaven is an eternal moment. Everything stands still. There is no sense of time in heaven. If you were to walk up to somebody in heaven and say, "By the way, you know that 20 centuries have passed since your martyrdom," you would say, "You're kidding me! It, I just got here." Because there there is would be no sense of the passage of time, because there is there is a complete enjoyment of of God as as prime being and prime truth. So that's a poor explanation of why heaven is a place of perfect joy. So the Catechism says heaven is a place of eternal and perfect happiness.
1: Question number three. Are not the things of this world intended to make us happy?
0: The things of this world are here for the purpose of serving us in a way in which to glorify God. Everything must glorify God. So we are meant to possess and use the things of this world and love them to the extent that God wants us to love them and in the manner that he wants us to love them. So every use of everything that we possess has that purpose upon it, as as the mark of that purpose. And as long as we are merely using them for the glory of God, uh, then we are treating them correctly. They are not meant to totally fulfill us because they can't. The, The appetite of the intellect for truth and the appetite of the will for the good, the perfect good, which God is, is so strong that a material thing cannot fill it up, uh, either of those appetites up, except for a very short time and not even completely. I always use the example of a child who is approaching Christmas. Before Christmas, he is thinking about all of the wonderful toys he's going to get at Christmas time and he 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 just dreams about Christmas Day in which all of these gifts come to him. Then he plays with the toys for about a week, if even that, and then they are broken or lost. He has no care of them for them anymore. So he has exhausted, in other words, all of the joy that those things are able to give him. And the same is true of anything else we buy or possess. It has a certain ability to give us joy for a certain amount of time, then we tire of it. No matter how wonderful it is, we tire of it because it just cannot fulfill what we desire. It is not a perfect good. It is a very limited good. Even Mm -hmm. if it's all of the gold in the world or the most beautiful car or anything else that we might desire, it just doesn't do it. And we start thinking about something better. And that's why people who are addicted to material things are, they're practically like drug addicts. That is, the, the next fix must be always a higher fix. It must be something better. It must be something that can can outdo the previous fix. So they have to make a lot of money. <laughs> and, and, you know, they do, and you know, in many cases they do, or else they desire a lot of money. But in any case, they 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 never are really fulfilled. The the most important things in life are immaterial things. Even if we ex- exclude religion altogether, the most important things in life are immaterial things, spiritual things like justice or love, fidelity. Those are immaterial things. Uh, a child, you could this famous example of a of a, a baby who is uh, at the breast of his mother. She might have a magnificent emerald and diamond necklace on. The baby couldn't care less about the multi-million-dollar necklace. He is interested in feeding. That's all. <laughs> and and the the uh, the the same is true of of the uh, human mind is that that uh, it can it is interested in one thing and that is the immaterial things. A child wants to know that he is loved. He doesn't care if his parents have a lot of money or they're well educated or I saw recently, uh, a year ago that the most, the happiest children in the world are in Brazil. And Brazil is a, quite a poor country, but the, the, uh, a child is, is very, very happy when he knows that he's loved, when he has a stable family life. He doesn't care about all the rest of the stuff. He just doesn't care because the most important things in life are immaterial. Um, the um, uh, if, if you think about uh, what holds marriages together or what breaks them up is usually something immaterial. Those people who are unfaithful, who no longer love their spouses, that, that's that's, uh, that's the cause of, of breakup of the marriage. And and you know we all. Uh, even if you completely remove religion, human beings are mostly interested in immaterial in things. So the, the the answer to the question is, are the things of this world intended to make us happy? No, the things of this world cannot possibly make us happy. That means material things. They don't make us happy. And the, the human human being is primarily spiritual, and he desires spiritual things. He cries out for justice when an animal when one animal kills another animal they don't care at all what happened if anything it's they admire the 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 fact that uh, the murder took place when when human beings murder someone there is a lesion of justice where is justice justice is an immaterial thing and there are law courts and jails and 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 uh, electric chairs to deal with people who Break the code of justice, an immaterial thing. Where is it? Look at the marriage bond, an immaterial thing. But how important that is! How important that is, the marriage bond. So these these are just reflections on the fact that a, a material thing is not going to make you happy. It will make you superficially happy for a little bit. That's about all it can do.
1: Yes, Your Excellency. We would like to remind you that you're listening to This is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano, and I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, and today we've been discussing the end of man. Question number four. Well, this is related. Well, why cannot the things of this world make us happy?
0: Yes. Uh, this is very close to what I was just saying in number three. The answer is because all earthly things are vain and perishable. And two, because man is made for God and for everlasting happiness in heaven. So they're vain and perishable because they're vain because they, they are not substantial. They, they, uh, uh, they, as I said, cannot totally satisfy the human mind. They are perishable. They come and go. <clears throat> look at a flower. When a flower arrives, it's a beautiful thing. And in a couple of days, it's in the trash can. And it smells bad. And it's a rotting thing. Uh, look at human flesh what happens to human flesh after a number of years? You know, what is the the object of so much desire? You know, in, in, at one time becomes the object of disgust. Practically, you know, when we look at we who are older, look at ourselves in the mirror, we think, you know, my goodness, this is really getting out of hand. It all rots. It all just goes away. All of the all of the uh, things of this world, every single thing, falls apart. Your home is constantly falling apart. That's why you have to fix it up so much. And and everything needs a maintenance. Otherwise, it falls apart. Matter has an intrinsic tendency to go back to its elements. That is, when you have something that is very, very complicated, a very complicated chemical, it has a constant tendency to go back to its element, to be reduced to something very basic and simple. And so anything composed always wants to go back to its elements. This is why your car falls apart. This is why your house falls apart. This is why your body falls apart. Everything falls apart. And and uh so they're perishable. There's there's no constancy in them and no matter how much you pay for things, they they just uh, they go away. They you know, you you work hard, you pay all kinds of money and you know, in a hundred years, that house will be torn down. Things come and go. They they have no no permanence. So, and the the for happiness, happiness, true happiness requires permanence, a permanent possession of what makes us happy. And and therefore, the these things, because they are perishable, cannot give us that permanent possession. If we have a fear that we will lose something, we we are not perfect. And the second reason that the answer gives is that man is made for God and for everlasting happiness in heaven. And I have already explained this, that the human intellect is made for God in as much as it is capable of knowing existence, knowing being, and loving the good. But because there is no limit to these things, it has the possibility of knowing God as he is supreme being and as he is supreme good. And therefore, because he has that capacity, there is no creature that could possibly totally fulfill him.
1: Question number five, for what end then were the things of this world principally given to us?
0: They were given to us
1: purely to
0: use, to to use for our good purposes. Food and clothing, shelter, all of the things of the earth are given to us in order that we lead our natural lives in in relative comfort, and that uh, we need those things in order to glorify God, in order to to live, in order to pray. Uh, We need churches. uh, We need to build things. uh, We need material things. We are material. It's a part of our nature. And so these things have to be used in such a way that they contribute to the, to the glory of God. So we need transportation, we need all of the things that we use in this life, and they should be loved only in as much as they are useful and conducive to eternal salvation. So that's why when we pray for things and they are not graces, we many times do not receive them even though we might consider them to be very important even health all of those things are in the providence of god our our bodies are given to us for a reason our disabilities are given to us for a reason all of that is work is part of the decree of god for your salvation so the the only thing that that we can infallibly count on when we pray is for graces to overcome sin or to Become more perfect. God will always answer those those prayers the way we want Him to. He will answer the other prayers <laughs> that we ask for that we say, but maybe not in the way that we, we that we want them to, because He might say no. So when we pray for material things, even our health, we will not necessarily be answered because material things only have a value inasmuch as they contribute to the glory of God and our salvation, which really are are bound up in the same thing. We glorify God by saving ourselves. For what end then were the things of this world principally given to us, that we may use them for the purpose of knowing and serving God?
1: Question number six. Why does God require us to know him, love him, and serve him?
0: We must know him because he is the ultimate truth. Our intellects were made to know him. There is anything that exists, exists because he has created it and he maintains it in existence. He is the ultimate truth. So he made our intellects to know him. He made our wills to love him. Uh, Just as an automobile has a purpose. It has wheels, it has the motor, it has the transmission. It has a purpose to be driven around and to transport people. So our intellects have a purpose, just as our eye has a purpose to see light and color. The intellect has a purpose, and that purpose is to know God. The will has a purpose, and that is to know the the good in general, but ultimately the good of God. Just as a washing machine exists for washing your clothes so that's the that's first love him uh, we must love him because he is the highest good and we must serve him because he is the sovereign lord that means that he has the right absolutely to our service he he could make us slaves he could without any injustice to us he doesn't because he loves us as children but without any injustice to us, he we could just be his slaves. Uh, we are totally indebted to him for our existence, uh, our creation, our existence, our sustenance. Totally indebted to him. Anything we give back to him already belongs to him. Just like a child gets money from his mother in order to go out and buy her a birthday present. She already owns it. <laughs> it's her money. So when we give something back to God, he he owns it already. Uh, It's important just for us to give things back to God. He wants it, just as it is important for the child to give something to his mother, and and she wants him to do that. We must serve him uh, and and carry out his will and, and do his bidding, because he has dominion over us. So the answer to the question is, Why does God require us to know Him, love Him, and serve Him? God requires us, one, to know Him because He is the eternal truth, two, to love Him because He is the most bountiful and most lovable God, and three, to serve Him because He is the sovereign Lord.
1: Question number seven. What will become of those who will not know, love, and serve Him?
0: They will go to hell. The stakes are very high. If all of these things are true that we have explained so far, that the purpose of our existence is to is to know, love, and serve God, uh, the purpose of our intellect is to see God, the purpose, the purpose of our will is to love God and to possess Him forever in heaven, well, if we thwart that purposely and through our own fault, then we thwart the very purpose of our existence, I'll give you an example. Suppose you have a washing machine, and instead of washing the clothes and making them clean, it makes them dirty. So you put all of your clothes in, and you come back after the cycle is done, and they are dirty. And you put them in again, they become dirtier. They're all horrible. What would you do with that washing machine? you try to fix it maybe but if it's not able to be fixed what do you do with it you throw it out you put it out on the street and wait for the garbage man to come and pick it up and take it away and throw it on the heap of garbage forever to be to be just to be forgotten about and and so we the we cast into hell our own machine that do not do the function that they are required to do and for which they were made, and that's exactly what God will do for us, with us if we do not function in the manner that to, and for which He made us. So the the answer is that God will cast them from Him forever. They will go into an eternal forgetfulness of God in a sense. The not that God forgets anything, but they will become like the trash bin or the or the the pile of garbage of the universe. They will be sealed in hell, as if in a in a cave with a, a terrible stone, a very heavy stone on the front of it, sealed in hell, and and in a certain sense out of God's sight and, and mind. I'm saying in a certain sense because He knows everything, but they they will be cast from Him. And there they will spend an eternity because they they cannot change their wills unless God gives them the grace to change their wills, and He doesn't give that grace. But even so, once the once you die, that's a whole other question. Uh, once you die, you cannot change your will. Uh, your will is sealed and fixed, and they spend the rest of eternity hating God and regretting what they did in this life, which put them in that in that position. So it is a it is a place of eternal damnation, eternal pain. We cannot, again, understand the pain of the loss of the vision of God without understanding how much we want to see God. We have to contemplate that, how much we want to see God. And we get a little glimpse of how much we want to see God by understanding how much we want to know things and we get a little glimpse of how much we want to possess god by the fact of how much by how much we want to possess the things of this world that we we constantly seek that happiness of this world and the comforts of this world that that is a drive in us and a very very strong drive in us and so that that's a taste of it the people in hell uh suffer uh, an eternal despair wishing to kill themselves all the time if they could it's a it's it's a despair of suicide wishing to to if they could take their own lives they would all the time it's an eternal death there is never a, a time when when death is not present that is separation uh from life and all of the life-giving principles uh, that it's it's a very terrible thing so that's the 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 effect of not loving God in this life.
1: Question number eight. What is then most necessary in this life?
0: This is really a summary of everything we have said. The answer to the question is, in this life, the most necessary thing is that we should know, love, and serve God, and thereby obtain eternal happiness. So I I think that is just a summary of everything we've said so far. Probably we should move on to number
1: nine. Yes, Your Excellency. Number nine. What must we do if we would know and serve God and be eternally happy?
0: The answer is very clear. In the Catechism, we must believe all that God has revealed. Two, we must keep all the commandments which God has ordered to be kept. And three, we must use the means of grace which God has ordained for our salvation. So we'll we'll take each of those. We must believe all that God has revealed. God has... Decided to reveal himself to us. He did not have to do that. He could have left us to our own lights. That is, to figure him out. Now, the human race falls flat on its face when it tries to figure out who God is and what his attributes are. Just flat on its face. If you consider the religions that human beings have had over the centuries, the the uh, the Egyptians, who were very advanced in them, many other ways. Uh, worshipping animals, notably bulls and uh, uh, the sun. They worshipped the sun and various other animals. Cats were sacred for some reason. The Greeks were worshipping uh, essentially these these uh, figments of their imagination which uh, operated a, a, a soap opera a dirty soap opera. That, that's Greek mythology. It, it's a, a filthy, dirty, lascivious soap opera about all of these imaginary gods. And nobody could have really believed in that, that sort of thing. I mean, it was just it's more literature than it is religion. And then other things in the Middle East, where people actually uh, worship flies in the uh, in the Middle East. Yes, it was. Uh, a statue of a great fly at one point. Even today, you see, uh, if you look at the festivals in India, the the, uh, uh, the the body of a man with the head of an elephant. This is religion for human beings. Or in in the islands uh, uh, in, of the Pacific, all sorts of uh, sexual religions. Uh, that's something that human beings fell into a great deal was uh, sexual religions. And then they fell into uh, 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 worship of the devil, such as the Aztecs, worshiping uh, uh, the devil in the form of a snake and offering to that god on those pyramids that people visit. The the blood would run down those steps as they sacrificed their enemies, usually. uh, And the Incas did the same. uh, And then there was cannibalism as well. They would eat some of their victims because uh, they thought they were brave or something like that the human be the the human beings fall down on their faces when it comes to religion trying to figure out who god is and so god in his mercy has revealed himself to us now that means that there is a single true religion and that is the religion that god has revealed to us and that means anything that contradicts that religion is false so if if you do not adhere to the revelation that God has given us, you adhere to a false religion, and that is displeasing to God, because you do not submit your intellect to him. The submission of our intellect to his revelation is the way we, we manifest our adoration of him. Now, the second thing is we must keep all the commandments, and that is to... God has given us commandments. First of all, he has given us the natural law, but he has also given us some other commandments that that do not pertain to the natural law. And these things we must adhere to because they are his will. We must do his will. We must serve him in order to please him. So if we are to go to, to heaven, we have to obey his commandments. Very simple. And we must use the means of grace which God has ordained for our salvation. So he has given us this goal to achieve and then he has given us the means to achieve it which is grace uh we could not achieve the supernatural goal of seeing god face to face unless god gave us the means to achieve it any more than you could go to the moon on the on a bicycle the god in his supernatural uh as he is Uh, in himself, in other words, God known supernaturally, uh, uh, is uh, much farther away than the moon is, in in the sense that uh, you would laugh and say, well, I'm I'm going to go to the moon on a bicycle. Well, it is far more ridiculous to say, I'm going to try to see God without grace, without his giving me the means to get there and to know him uh, and to love him and to do everything necessary. If he does not give us that grace, we, through the effects of original sin, we, we are completely helpless and we, we fall down. Uh, it's the teaching of the church that human beings cannot long persevere in natural virtue, uh, without the help of grace. It was that somehow or other they will fall down and commit some really bad sin. They can have some virtues but not all virtues. You cannot, man cannot be perfect, in other words, without without the help of grace. That's the teaching of the Catholic Church. Uh, so any idea of perfecting man without the help of grace, which the modern world tries to do, you know, to make a better world and all of that stuff, without the help of grace is doomed to failure, as we see. It's doomed to failure. Uh, and uh, the, the we must use that grace that God gives us in order to uh, go to heaven. Otherwise, we cannot make it. That's, that's uh, it's like, uh, you need a rocket ship in order to get to the moon. You need grace in order to get to heaven. So the uh, that's those are the answers. We must believe all that God has revealed. We must keep all the commandments which God has ordered to be kept. And we must use the means of grace which God has ordained for our salvation. And he explains it, he says, or in other words, we must have religion, for religion from religare in Latin, which means to bind, is the lively union of man with God, which springs from faith, charity, and grace, and is confirmed by the faithful observance of the divine commandments. So our Lord mentioned these three things when he gave his mission to the apostles, going therefore teach you all nations, there was the the adherence to faith and and what we must believe, baptizing them, so giving them the means of grace, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So that is that we must, the apostles must go out and teach people to obey the commandments. Those three things are in the solemn mission given to the apostles.
1: We want to remind you that This is Catholicism is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. Question number 10. Why must we, in order to be saved, believe, keep the commandments, and make use of the means of grace?
0: Because, first of all, by faith we have to know where we are going this is the 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 age of the gps so you put into your gps your destination and it dictates to you turns you should make so if you don't know your destination your gps is of no use to you and so faith shows us the the destination that we must achieve uh so the in order to go to heaven we must know where we are going. So we, we must know that, that salvation does not consist in worshiping a fly. We have to adhere to the true religion. Uh, the road must be the right road. Even if you are thinking that you're going down the right road, but in fact are going down the wrong road, you are going to end up in the wrong place, no matter what your good intentions are. Uh, the the So we have to know uh, what is the right road, and that's where the, the faith comes in. We have to, secondly, keep the commandments because we are obliged to serve God. It, no one in his right mind would say that God would, would reward somebody who disobeyed his laws all during his life and who never repented. I mean, look at, look at the law courts. Did they Do did they reward people who murder and who steal? Look at the whole system of correction. Are are we so stupid as to say that even though in this life we are hauled before courts and judges for having disobeyed the law and we are put in, in institutions of correction or we might even be put to death, that this system of justice does not exist with God? And the reason why a judge sitting on a bench in front of you is able to order you to a house of correction is because of the power of God that is in him. He represents the state, and the state receives its power from God. Otherwise, who is he? Why can he say you have to go to the electric chair or you have to go to jail? Who is he? He's just another human being. But he has the power of God. Again, that power is an immaterial thing but yet it is seen and feared by everyone in the courtroom. It is seen with the eyes of their intellect. And it is feared. Even the lawyers fear those judges. And so are we so stupid as to think that that system of justice does not exist for those who have violated the law of God? So we must keep the commandments because we are bound to serve them and we have to use the Means of grace because they are absolutely necessary for salvation. As I said, you can't go to the moon on on a bicycle. It, it's impossible to get where we have to go without that. Just as a GPS does you little or no good if you want to go to California from New York and you have no car. <laughs> it could tell you the way. <laughs> it, it might tell you how to walk there. It would take you probably six months to walk there, but. The, the, in, in a practical order, it is of no use to you. The goal is of no use to you unless you use the means that God has given you to get there. And those means that God has given you to get there are the actual graces that we pray for every day and which God gives us all during the day in order to maintain us on the proper goal. Uh, just as, uh, for example, the drones are uh, rely upon a signal constantly in order that they stay on the right path for wherever they're going, and we won't discuss that, but they must be constantly receiving a signal. So also, in order to keep us on the right moral path, we must be receiving constantly those actual graces. So the answer to the question is, number 10, we must, in order to be saved, first believe because it is only by faith that we get a right knowledge of God two, we must keep the commandments because by keeping the commandments we serve God and three, we must also use the means of grace because by them we obtain the help necessary to salvation
1: Uh, Your Excellency, question 11 where do we get a right knowledge of the truths of divine faith, of the commandments and of the means of grace?
0: The answer in the catechism is in Christian doctrine. This essentially means the teaching of the Catholic Church. Uh, God not only revealed himself, but set up an institution, uh, an organization known as the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church has the power of God to teach, rule, and sanctify the human race. And it, its teaching is the the source of of the knowledge that, which is the object of our faith. So God gives us the faith, it's a supernatural gift, which elevates our intellect so as to assent to the truths of the faith, the object, the dogma of the faith, with an absolute certitude because it's based on the authority of God revealing. So it is our solemn duty to know God through the teaching of the Catholic Church, which is the proposed revelation of God uh, the the Christian religion is not a movement like Buddhism or or some other uh, even Islam it is it is a single organization so the word Christian and Catholic mean exactly the same thing there is no true Christian outside of Roman Catholicism because no matter how many dogmas of, of Christianity, he might believe. He is cut off from Christ because he's cut off from Christ's mystical body, which is his church. And a single organization under a single hierarchy, visible, this is the Catholic Church. And if you're cut off from that, you you cannot have the name of Christian. You might claim it, you might have certain uh, doctrines that conform to Christian doctrine, but you are not a Christian because you don't belong to to the Christian organization, which is the church. So Christian doctrine is what we must learn in order to uh, fulfill the, the obligation to know truth about God.
1: Question 12. What do you call the book by which briefly contains the Christian doctrine in question and answer?
0: Well, that's an easy one. That's the catechism. So the catechism is a a brief. Uh, you know, some catechisms are less brief than others, but it's a brief and direct way. Saint Thomas Aquinas says that question and answer is the best way to learn anything, because the question puts out to you a, a, a clarity of what what you're seeking, and and then the answer is the answer. That is, here's you know, it. It's clear. And it's concise. What is the question? What is the answer? We always say that somebody is smart if he can come up with the answers, where he doesn't give us, uh, you know, a lot of gobbledygook, but where he gives you a clear answer. That, that's that's we say he's a very smart person because he, he knows right away what what uh, what the answer to the question is. You see, quiz shows, people who answer questions right away, they're smart. A lot of money doing it they so also the, the the question and answer method is very very clear and that's why the church has always used it that's why uh, we memorized all of these questions and answers when we were children at least we did uh, i'm 65 years old almost and and um, uh but you know that has been abandoned now but but in traditional catholic schools there is still uh, existing the practice of memorizing because it gives you a, a clear adherence to what the truths are, uh, there is nothing fuzzy. Uh, the, the answer is concise and clear. Uh, that's the purpose of the Catechism. Now you don't stop at the Catechism. You you always want to learn more. The Catholic faith is vast, but the Catechism gives you at least this, the skeleton and framework of the of Catholic dogma.
1: And our last question for this episode. Number thirteen. What then does the Catechism treat of?
0: Here, the author is dividing up his Catechism uh, into questions of faith, that is, dogma, and then the commandments, that is, the moral teaching of the Catholic Church, and then the means of grace, namely, sacraments and prayer. So that that is a very classical division. Here is what we must know about God. Here is how we must serve Him. And number three, here, here are the means by which to serve him. Uh, that's, that's essentially what it is, uh, this, uh, sacraments and, and prayer. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, all of the things we do in order to obtain grace. So that's the the classic division of any catechism. Uh, and uh, so that, that's what we'll be discussing in future shows. Uh, each of these things will go through each of these parts. So the, the first part is on the faith.
1: Yes, Your Excellency. As we close out this episode, we have covered the introduction to the catechism on the end of man, and I want to thank His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn uh, for his time and being with us on this episode. Is there anything else, Your Excellency, you would like to summarize before we close out the episode?
0: Learn your catechism.
1: <laughs> yes, Your Excellency. It's uh, uh, Thank you for... Uh, such clarity in these confusing times that uh, avoiding the, the mushy answers. You no, know, I've
0: never been answers. accused of being mushy. No no one has ever accused me of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'll look forward to our next session uh, where we'll get into the faith and uh, some very, very interesting questions.
1: Listeners, your homework for the next episode is to start looking over Part 1 on faith. Yes. Uh, before we go, Your Excellency, I would like to ask you what's going on at Most Holy Trinity Seminary.
0: Well, people ask me that all the time, and I my answer is usually nothing. Uh, in this sense, that there's nothing exciting that happens in a seminary, and that's a very good sign, because the seminary is a place of quiet prayer and study, discipline. And uh, so it's one of the calmest places in the whole world. The uh, seminarians uh, go to courses every day. They pray in the chapel every day. They do their chores and uh, go to bed. <laughs> so there's really nothing uh, extraordinary about it. it, but the very fact that it is so ordinary and that it happens in such an orderly manner is precisely why the seminary exists. It, it is a, meant to be sort of a very long retreat for for the young men that go in. Like a soaking in the Catholic faith and Catholic spiritual principles and and uh, practice of, of the spiritual life, it, it's it's getting soaked in it. It's like a marinade for many years. And so the idea is that they come out as people are quite different from uh, what they went in as. Uh, so every day they they get corrected. They they're told things. They uh, it's not an easy thing to, to be a priest. Uh, it's, it, you, there's a there's a lot of ways in which you must come up, uh, even in, in your manners and, and uh, your decorum and your the way that you speak to people. You, you can't be just an ordinary person. You have to always be conscious of your priesthood and always be edifying in everything you say and do. And those things have to be taught to them. So it, it is an intense formation. It's not easy, but... When God gives the grace to someone to become a priest, they they desire it so much that they are willing to go through all of that formation. Uh you can tell right away when somebody does have a, a the grace of a vocation and when somebody doesn't. Because when they when they have it, they really want it. Nothing stops them. They they're just it's like a, a force that is unstoppable. So, uh, you know, we're always looking for that, too, because the seminary does its job as much when it sends someone away who does not have a vocation as it does when it it, it ordains somebody. It's doing its job in both cases. It's a type of sifter of, uh, to find who does have a vocation and who doesn't, so uh, when it sends somebody away, it's it's doing its job just as much as when it's ordained somebody, when it you know, approves someone for ordination. So, as I said, the the seminary is, a, in that sense, not exciting. There's nothing to report about except that.
1: Yes, Your Excellency. The website of Most Holy Trinity Seminary is mostholytrinityseminary.org. There are many sermons and articles there, and you can send your generous donations at the website or send them to 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida, zip code 34602. Well, once again, Your Excellency, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. Thank you. Goodbye. If you have any questions for His Excellency or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catechism at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to His Excellency And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us are strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Jason Guardiano. May God bless you.